I've chosen to do a character study of Joseph, or maybe it would be better to have title my topic or session or whatever you want to call it, on lessons from the life of Joseph. <clears throat> I had discovered in the past that sometimes not butterflies pretty seriously. It helps to get them information if I fess up as to some of the reasons for my butterflies. When uh, Daniel first asked me about having a class and uh, having it on a character study, uh, it didn't take me real long to decide to do it, and, and, uh, and I said I want to do it on, the, on uh, Joseph. Because I had uh, at least twice, maybe more, than that taught that at Calvary Bible School that's years ago. I have to fess up that I almost backed out when I was starting to study because I felt like I have so much to learn from Joseph that I felt incapable of teaching it. But if we can just take it this way, I'm not, I don't feel as if I'm here to teach you anything, but that we can together look at this account, the life of Joseph, and maybe learn some lessons that we can apply to our lives that would encourage us to grow, to go deeper with God. Probably more than any other Old Testament character, Joseph demonstrates the mind of Christ. You know, the, Paul's Romans 12, too, the idea of being not conformed to the world but transformed, I think was already working in Joseph long before Christ. Joseph actually lived 400 years before the law was given. So, he didn't have the law of Moses as a guide to what's right. And yet, he followed God. Some questions for us to think about before we start. Do you have struggles or heartaches, or temptations, or sometimes overwhelmingly hard decisions to make. Has anyone ever taken unfair advantage of you? Does it ever seem kind of useless to choose right? You never get recognized for it anyway. Are there things in your past, either recent past or long past, like Oh, some of your siblings' actions, some of your children's actions, or your parents' actions, or your grandparents' actions that could influence you negatively. Have you ever been hopeful and need to have the hope stashed? Joseph faced all of that at one time or other in his life. And he never allowed bitterness and anger to take over and he forgave unconditionally. A 
Think about all that you and I have that Joseph didn't. Remember, I said he lived 400 years before the law. You and I have all of this. You and I have the privilege of having God's spirit indwell us. We have the privilege of being part of the church, the body of Jesus Christ. How did Joseph get to where he got? And, and I do, do want to say this. I much prefer teaching by having open discussion, but I'm afraid I can't spend too, a whole lot of time going there. And I may, in my ramblings, ask some questions that I don't answer. I might even be asking some questions that I don't know the answers to. But I I do want to say this right out front. If there's any time where, where you feel like I'm letting something hang, there's an unanswered question that can be, needs to be answered, don't be afraid to flag me down or talk to me afterwards at least. All right, let's first of all think about Joseph's family background and see if we can learn anything about that. Joseph had the advantage of having a, a great, a great grandfather, Abraham, who in various circumstances moved by faith and followed God. When God asked him to move, he moved. Didn't even know where he's moving to. When God asked him to offer his only son, he gave him. But there were also times in great grandpa's life that he really messed up. Think about when he got tired of waiting or wasn't sure how God's going to do it or whatever, and he and uh, Sarah took the idea of of, uh, bearing a son through Hagar and all the mess that that made. And the time that uh, they were in Egypt and he told uh, Sarah that, you know, to tell the people that she's his sister and all the mess that made. Then you have God's, or um, excuse me, Joseph's grandfather, Isaac, who was a peacemaker. God repeated the promise to Isaac that he had repeated to, that he had told to Abraham about having him seed as the stars, promise of the land, the promise of nations being blessed because of him and his seed. And soon after that, Isaac played the same game that Abraham had. He said, Rebecca's my sister. Did he forget God's promise so soon? Some other things about Joseph's family. Uncle Esau despised his birthright. He just he didn't think much of it. His mother 
his mother and father. His grandmother and grandfather had, secret, had favorite sons. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. Rebecca favored Jacob over Esau. And God had promised that the blessing is going to come through Jacob. But Rebecca couldn't wait for God to carry out the promise. And Jacob couldn't wait either. Seems Jacob was constantly, this is Joseph's dad now, constantly had a desire for things that he was entitled to, but he schemed to get them. Didn't wait for God. Someone said this about Jacob, and I think it, a certain amount of truth to it. Jacob is the epitome of what the world says a real man is. Resourceful, shrewd, self-reliant, no fear, success in everything, whether by fair or foul play. That's the kind of dad that Joseph had. At least, that was the way dad was some of his life. And then, there's the story about Jacob's wives. Remember that Jacob had served seven years for Rachel, Laban's daughter that he had set his eyes on from the beginning. Served seven years for Rachel, and, and Laban tricked him. The morning after the wedding, he realized that he's married to sister. So Jacob worked seven more years, made the agreement to work seven more years to get the wife that he wanted. And if I understand that passage right, um, a week later, then he had his second wife. But he worked 14 years for the two, for the two wives. And then... If you haven't read it lately, read Genesis 29, 31 to 30, 24, and then Genesis 35, 18. The story there of the conflict between Jacob's two wives and their huh, may seem weird, strange, but yeah. They're fighting about who's going to sleep with him tonight. And even the things that happened in the way they named their children, there were names, well, let's just summarize it briefly. So Leah, the one, the one that Jacob didn't really care for, started bearing him sons, one after the other, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. And... When you read that, look up the names, meanings of the names of the boys. Well, some of them are actually hinted at in the text, but look up meanings to get it. Leah gave her son's names based on uh, how she felt about what happened. Uh, for example, um, Simeon means hearing or heard. God gave her a son because she heard 
because he heard that she was hated. That was, that was the context of her giving the name heard. You know. um, going down the line further. Well, then, after a bit, Leah couldn't have any children. And, and about the same time, Rachel's tired of not being able to bear children for her husband, so she does the, the same thing that Abraham had done with, Abraham and Sarah had done with Hagar. Gives her husband, her handmaid, to bear sons for her. Rachel named the sons. When the first one was born, she named him Dan, which means judge. She said, because God has judged me. You know, see, God's fighting for me, she say. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go on with much more detail. We don't have time, but you, you read it for yourself sometime and, and think about the conflict that's going on. And even the names of the boys and the reminders, the memories those names would bring up if you, you understood what the names mean. So, these, they're eventually 10 sons born to these four moms, you please. And if I figured right, there are some things that we can't figure exactly, but at 17 years of age, Joseph's family would have consisted of a dad who was approximately 90, a younger brother, Benjamin, who may have been about seven. That, that's not, there's not really anything concrete to get that age, except that as you read, after a time, after a while, this and that happened, you know. So that, yeah, he could have been about seven. A sister who was just a little bit older than Joseph was, and ten brothers who ranged in age from Zebulun, who was about 17 or 18 at the time, just a little older than Joseph, to Reuben, who would have been about 23 or 24. And Joseph's own mom died Rachel died when Benjamin was born. So he didn't really have a mom at 17, and even before that. But there's three other moms in the house. Did you ever thank God for growing up in a home with just one mom and one dad? You know, and when you stop and think about Joseph and all that he had going for him, didn't have going for him, all the confusion and mess that there was, didn't even go to the point that his brothers were not good characters. He even knew some of the evil that they were involved in, Genesis 27 too, and told about it. Reuben had an immoral relation with his half-brother's mom. Judah had an immoral relation with his 
daughter-in-law. That's the kind of home Joseph grew up in. Well, the relationship with the daughter-in-law happened after he was in Egypt, I believe. So it's easy to rationalize our present behavior. We could by blaming our parents and our family for our attitudes and actions. I'm going to read a quote from the book, Joseph, Finding God's Strength in Times of Trial. And by the way, uh, I used that book quite heavily in my study of, of Joseph. The book is by Gene Getz, and he makes this quote. What about Joseph? He lived in the midst of a family dominated by lying, deceit, immorality, and manipulation. If any man had an excuse for turning out bad, Joseph certainly did. He could easily have blamed his dad and his mom and his brothers the rest of his life for repressed anger, for lingering bitterness, persistent anxiety, fear of rejection, a tendency to be deceitful, manipulative, and immoral. He could have easily said, because of my family, that's why I am this way. But he wasn't that way. If anybody would have an excuse to say, I am this way because of my family, Joseph could have, because he was reared in that kind of setting for 17 years. All right, let's uh, move ahead then to that familiar story of Joseph being sold into slavery. I want to insert here right now that even though there isn't anything specific stated in the scriptures of something wrong that Joseph did, I am sure that Joseph sinned because, finish it. All oh, have sinned. So don't get the, we don't want to get the idea that Joseph was a perfect man. That he didn't have the same kind of problems to deal with that we did. He was a sinful, a human being with a sinful nature just like mine and yours. I think, I think that needs to be settled in our minds. Or does somebody disagree? If you disagree, scripture for it. <laughs> okay. All right. Joseph, uh, going to um, chapter Genesis, chapter thirty-seven. Says talks about Joseph being verse two, being seventeen years old. He was feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now, those two wives were handmaids. And I don't know specifically if, in this incident that's quoted here, if it was only those four boys that were with Joseph or not, but at least those were some of them. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. There's the reminder of the fact that the brothers were involved in wickedness of some kind. We don't know what it was, but 
Joseph brought it to dad. It may be that this is one of the areas where Joseph goofed, sinned, if you please. He may have gone with the wrong attitude. You know, I, I don't know. That's, that's unsaid in there. But anyway, Joseph may have been partially responsible for the wrong attitude, like I said, but that we don't know. All right, question for you, um, and I want you to respond uh, as quickly as you can. What are three things specifically that stirred up the brothers' wrong attitudes? What was it? Well, no, what, what is one of the things that caused the jealousies is, is what I mean. Okay, his father showing favoritism. Okay, what else? His dreams. And? Well, that's part of the favoritism, yeah. And the other one was that he brought the, that he told dad about the bad things they were doing. Those, those three things specifically um, that were told here, that were things that contributed to their envy and jealousy. And, and as I said before, I don't know if, if Joseph's attitude was right when, when he went to dad with the evil report, or if it was, uh, you know, if it was to get brownie points, uh, you know, he, he already knows he's dad's favorite son, and maybe, you know, he just, maybe he, maybe he liked that in a wrong way. I, I don't know that. But in, in any case, if he went with a wrong attitude or a right attitude, either way, the brothers reacted negatively instead of responding properly. Either way, I almost said that wasn't Joseph's fault. No, it, it really wasn't. Even if, if, even if he was wrong in the attitude he went, it wasn't his fault if they responded negatively. And I think that's something that I need to remember. One of the lessons in the study of the life of Joseph. It's not somebody else's fault if I don't respond properly. All right, Dad's favoritism was another one of the things that started. Is it wrong to reward children for well-doing? The Lord rewards us for well-doing, yeah. And we, fathers, I think, need to be in that sense an example of what God is like. We need to have a kind of relationship with our sons that we reward them for well-doing. But what was the problem in this home? The favoritism, right. Um, Chris, uh, did, you, did you ever study this uh, about what this robe of many colors meant and is and so on. I, I thought about you when I was, when I was digging, and uh, even different sources don't quite come up with the same ideas. 
you know, what, what all did this mean that he had this coat of many colors? I did find from a, a number of sources indicate that possibly a better translation from the original would be a full coat rather than a many colored coat. And I now also found from various sources, including Strong's Concordance, that the word that's translated robe is a long, full-length garment. It was, uh, one translation says, a beautifully ornamented robe. One thing that I think is, is clear about it is that it was not work clothes. The brothers wore work clothes. Uh, some think that maybe Joseph, or Jacob was signifying that he intends to give the birthright to Joseph, or that at least the brothers felt that way about it. And that may well be true. I mean, uh, this man who had wheedled the birthright out of his brother could just as well be planning and take it away out of his own eldest son and giving it to his favorite son. I, I'm not sure about that, but that's the point. One of the things that I think, you know, a lesson for us fathers is that we don't show favoritism to our sons and or daughters. God doesn't. If God showed favoritism based on my right or wrong decisions, where would I be? God and his perfect son are working together so that all his sons and daughters can equally enjoy an inheritance, so that all of us are his, if you please, favored sons and daughters. I remember being at a funeral where a number of the sons and daughters gave testimony to their mom that while she was alive, they thought they are the favorite one. All of them. Now, moms and dads, that's maybe almost impossible. And yet, there was, a, there was a case where a number of the children at the funeral said that, uh, you know, they grew up thinking that their mom's favorite. That's different from the kind of favoritism that Jacob was, was showing. Everybody else except, and Joseph, knew that Joseph is the favorite. And then there's the dreams. And we don't really have details here about how Joseph presented his dreams, whether he presented them in a wrong way, with you know, kind of an arrogance when he told it or not. But in any case, the brothers and even Jacob kind of felt like, uh, yeah, you know, just 
Don't be so arrogant. Don't think you're going to do that. There's, then I have a question. Are you, if you are by chance, part of a family where someone else is, for whatever reason or for no reason at all, the favorite, how do you respond? I think we need to think about what God said to Cain when he was whining about what I think he viewed as favoritism on God's part. God said to him, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. In other words, yeah. If you think someone else is the favorite, well, you do well. Don't let that carry you aside. A side note to the dads here, a question. How in touch do you think Jacob was with his sons? If he knew how bad it really was, wouldn't he have told Joseph when he sent out on that mission to just wear shepherd's clothes? I don't know the answer to that question, how well touched Jacob was and whether he would have done different if he had really thought through or realized how bad it is. But that's a lesson for me. You know, do I? How well in touch am I with what my sons think and how they feel? Well enough to... That was part of Jacob's problem. He didn't realize it. All right. I, that's, that, that's what I tend to think, John, yeah. That he didn't, he didn't realize it, how bad it is, or, or he wouldn't have sent Joseph. A lesson to learn and think about is that hatred and jealousy and envy are very withering emotions, if we can call them that. Yeah, they are emotions. And when those emotions enter families, it can really raise havoc. One-on-one -on -one hatred is difficult enough. But it's much more complicated when people are drawn together in common hatred. Someone has said when hatred and envy are in control, men are out of control. Jealous, angry people are never glad to see the one who caused their feelings. Before Joseph even got close, they were already conspiring to kill him, Genesis 37, 19. They said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us see him. Just like that. And cast him in some pit. And we'll say some evil beast has devoured him. We'll see what would come of his dreams. Reuben heard it. He delivered him out of hands and said, Let us not kill him. Reuben said, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit in the wilderness. Lay no hand upon him. He did it so that he could rid him out of their hands and was planning to take him back home to dad. But while Reuben was gone, and they're sitting there um, eating lunch, do you think they were hungry? 
See, don't kill him, just throw him in the pit. Wow. They're, in the rest of the mines, they're still going to kill him, right? And they, they sit down to eat lunch. And then Reuben, or not Reuben, Judah, what do you think of that nice guy? He says in verse 26, what profit is it if we cure a brother and conceal his blood? Let's sell him. We read over that one time quickly and maybe don't even think about the awfulness, the harshness, and of the depth of where they, their hatred and jealousy and envy had gotten them to. That they could just do stuff like that without batting an eye, so to speak. So they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. I, I wanted to figure out how much that is in, in, in our money, and uh, there's too much discrepancy in, in, uh, in numbers when you look them up. But as near as I could come, it would come to about, in our time, $200. Split it between the 10, they had $20 a piece. A lot better than killing him. Why were they content? Good question, John. Now you're now you ask one of those questions that I'm not sure that I can answer. John, you're getting ready to say something. Kind of uh, eased their conscience, made them content in that sense. Yeah. Uh, that's that's probably a, a good thought. All right. Um.